The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson, and I'm a reporter with Mansion Global. Today is our first episode of a two-day Mansion Global real estate series. And with me are Patrick Carlisle, Chief Market Analyst for the San Francisco Bay Area of Compass, plus area agents Dana Green and Val Steele, also of Compass. Welcome, everyone. We're here to talk. Good morning. We're here to talk today about the state of the real estate market in San Francisco and the area around it. So, Patrick, I want to start with you. We talked last year and you said, and I've repeated this quote to many people, who would have thought a global pandemic would lead to such a strong real estate market? (laughs) And of course, it makes sense in retrospect, but I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that and how it's played out in San Francisco and the Bay Area. Well, it certainly has been an interesting two years in real estate in the country and in the Bay Area. Um, Q1 2022 is about the most frenzied market I've ever seen. Um, The word overheated actually comes to my mind. Uh, There were a lot of dynamics at play, uh, dynamics that played out differently in different parts of the Bay Area though pretty much every market segment has been strong recently. Uh, Houses much more, uh, much stronger than condos and uh, the suburban areas have typically been stronger than San Francisco, but San Francisco has also been uh, very strong. You know, there have been so many factors at play. There's been some uh, migration from densely populated areas, there has been uh, the huge surge in affluence that we've seen in the Bay Area and in the country, which led to an enormous burst in, in luxury home sales. There's work from home, which meant that uh, people moved outside of the city, even if they used to work in the city. Uh, Dana's uh, area in particular has had an enormous boom of people who, you know, they're not commuting in anymore. They're not driving over the Bay Bridge, and yet they want to live in, uh, you know, a high affluence, you know, beautiful area with more space around the homes. So there's been a lot going on. Right. You mentioned the migration and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about people fleeing cities, especially major cities like San Francisco. Um, Can you talk a little bit about more about that and is that still happening yeah so migration has been one of the more interesting dynamics that have occurred um you know when the when shelter in place first hit san francisco and of course san francisco was probably as strict a place as any in the country as far as shelter in place and restaurants clubs no more street fairs no more museums you know all the many of the things that people loved, you know, the dynamic energy of living in the city all disappeared. And of course, the appeal of walking down 
condo hallways or getting into elevators and that sort of thing, that, that dwindled real quickly. What quickly grew was that people wanted more space. They wanted yards. They wanted to be able to walk outside without crowds. So the condo market got hit initially very, very hard, though it has bounced back. Um, and people did indeed move, uh, you know, to places like um, the East Bay, North Bay suburbia, out to very rural sections like the wine country or Carmel or Lake Tahoe. When we look at the net migration from the city itself, um, I, and when I mean net, I mean the difference between people moving out and people moving in. The big migration that occurred in San Francisco was of renters. Um, first of all, San Francisco, 65% of its housing is indeed renter housing. So, but also um, renters were paying the highest rents in the country. Um, suddenly everything they loved about the city was shut down. Um, the offices that they walked or bicycled to, the high-tech workers were closed. Um, so those people, and of course they didn't have to put their house on the market, sell it, show it, or, you know, they get 30 day notice and they're gone and, and they went. So the, um, the house market and the condo market have rebounded very, very strongly and, and are very, very dynamic now in San Francisco. The residential rental market has been coming back, but it, it got hammered by the pandemic and rents in San Francisco, you know, initially fell about 25, <clears throat> about 25 percent immediately. <clears throat> Excuse me. Initially fell about 25 percent um, after the pandemic hit and it, and they're still down about somewhere in that 15% range. So it's coming back. And of course, they're talking about offices starting to reopen, which will not only reinvigorate that part of the market, but may add additional pressure to the condo market and the other housing markets in San Francisco. But that's occurring slowly. Right. Thank you. And so turning to you, Val, you're actually boots on the ground in the market. Um, what are you seeing and how is your first quarter compared to the last year? First quarter has been great. The activity level has been driven by um, the lack of inventory. Our, we'll start kind of reviewing the luxury market. We just had uh, 50 Arguello sell for $15.5 million. It was a renovated home, but that's a B street. I mean, years ago, pre-quarantine, you couldn't get somebody to pay half that amount of money for anything on Arguello. So that's a big change. We just had another house in Presidio Heights, again, totally renovated, 3747 Jackson. It just closed for $15,750,000. Um, we have tw 2505 Pacific that closed six months ago for $14.5 million. It's in escrow. We don't know how much. The people never moved in, put it on for a million dollars more to cover their transfer tax and the commissions. And it's in escrow. And we'll see where that lands. Did we have a million dollars appreciation in six months? I don't think so. But it speaks to the lack of inventory. We're seeing all these houses in that $2,500 to $2,300 per square foot sell. Right. You bring, uh, 
we have no inventory and it seems to be the sweet spot for buyers right now between six and eight million for homes um the condo market if you've got outdoor space is good if you don't it's a, a it's a lot tougher and they take a much bigger price hit right now got it and what amenities are people looking for what kinds of homes are selling the you know what's the strongest home you could offer right now for the strongest home you could offer now is done 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 move in big kitchen family room that opens up to a garden has a view um and four bedrooms on one level that's for people who have three children um and of course parking that those are the biggest key factors we have such a um backlog at planning and building here if you want to go outside an envelope and expand a home you're looking at a minimum of five years maybe if you're really lucky four and a half before you get to spend a night in that home so the house you can move into that's ready to go is the one that's going to command the top dollars right and so what about you dana you work in the la marinda area where is that and what are buyers looking for there Yes, so uh, La Mirinda is about 25 miles east of San Francisco. It comprises two cities, Lafayette and Arinda, and then the town of Moraga. And we really call it an area where you can live, work, play, retreat, and entertain. And so everybody that's leaving the city and migrating to the suburbs is coming for the house that has it all. They want to be close proximity to schools. We have fantastic schools. They want to be able to walk out their door and go on hikes, walk the town, walk their dogs. But more than anything, they want that house that is single story level. They can roll their dogs, their kids out onto the lawn, and they can do everything they need to do. So we find this dynamic where we're getting all these young empty nesters coming because their grown kids are here. And then we have young families coming for the schools and they're the ones that are fighting for the houses in my marketplace. And you've had some pretty big price jumps even in the last quarter. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I was just looking at Lafayette Q1 2021 over Q1 2022. Lafayette was up 23%, which is absolutely enormous. So we do not have enough inventory. Last I checked, we had less than a month of inventory. And what that means is that we're seeing multiple offers and we are seeing overbids on almost anything in the marketplace. And if you add in something that's rare, like level with a view and all the amenities, you know, it can go 35, 45, 40% over list price. Wow. So how are you prepping buyers for this situation that's such a difficult and competitive market? Yeah, I really think buyers just need to understand their financing. They come in, it's competitive. They're going to have to remove all of their contingencies. So they have to have the confidence in what they're doing. If they know they are going to get a loan, if they know they can ride out an appraisal problem, then it's probably just fine. Go for it. My worry is that all of this is going to cause gridlock. So we don't have enough inventory and everybody who's got interest rates locked in below 3%, they're not going to move. They're just going to 
add on and remodel and continue to make what they have better. They're going to add ADUs. They're going to add home gyms. They're going to do whatever they need to do and they're not going to move. So if that's the case, you know, buyers, buyers who can afford to get in, um, I don't think it's a bad path to take. Right. And an ADU is an additional dwelling unit, correct? I think that's a California term. We don't always use that term in, on the East Coast, at least. Yeah. Um, and, and so what about sellers? How are you prepping sellers at this moment? You know, they're getting high prices, but interest rates obviously have gone up a lot. And that's going to affect the buyer pool. Yeah. Sellers just can't get greedy. They need to do what they always do. They need to present a house that's in good condition, that's been updated, that um, is typically vacant and staged. And if they can do that, they usually will get top dollar. But um, buyers don't have a lot of bandwidth right now, and they do need done. And good luck trying to find a contractor to help um, if the home needs to be fixed up. So we really want sellers to just take a deep breath, realize that they're going to need to present a wonderful home to obtain that top dollar that they're dreaming of. The hard thing is, is the sellers have to become buyers. And where do these sellers go? And that is a tricky thing. What about you, Val? How are you advising your clients, both buyers and sellers? First of all, as Dana said, you have to get them pre-approved. They have to know their finances mm -hmm. uh, and what they can do and how much flex room they have. The second most important thing is for them to understand the true market value. We have a tendency here in the Bay Area, or especially San Francisco, of pricing way below what the market value is. And I'm not even talking at the lower end of the comparable sale range, way below that. So first you have to educate them what the market value is. Then you have to look at the activity level, and then you can start to analyze how much you're going to have to bid over the offering price. We have seen recently, and I've experienced two homes that were priced and they sat and we gave them an offer at full ask, no contingencies, and the seller won't sell at that price. So it, it's difficult. And the best thing you can do for your buyer is fully educate them because it's a very frustrating and emotional process for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And are, what advice do you have for sellers in San Francisco? Get your house as spotless and in the most pristine condition you can. Mm -hmm. Have all your pre-inspections and then look at those inspection reports as if you were a buyer. Take care of some of these maintenance items, but it just presents a much more uh, clean product for a buyer to wrap their heads around. I, I was just closed in escrow recently at nobody's fault, a pipe leaked and we had all sorts of remediation. It was just unfortunate and had these sellers just fixed that faucet, which was probably, it was actually the aerator that was a $5 fix. It ended up costing them thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. So it's really important when you go to sell your house, I always tell the seller, think about it if you were the buyer. But the more you can get done ahead of time and the more pristine and 
a lot of sellers go, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. I said, but you have to be prepared and you're marketing to the buyers and the buyers of today have a particular wish list and look that they're looking for. Right. Um, and so what about investors, you know, um, or second home buyers with mortgage rates, when, when mortgage rates were low, you know, a lot of people were buying investment properties or second homes, but obviously those, again, those rates have gone up. So is, do you feel like that's going to change? I don't know. Um, what I've seen recently is that buyers who would spend big money on homes are now taking, if they had 10 or $20 million, dividing that in half, allocating half to a second property and, and accepting less a smaller home in the city and having a place, for example, in the wine country, they can entertain, the kids can run outside, have real yards and have a real outdoor experience. And I've never seen seen this before, like, okay, this is our real estate dollar pool and we're gonna allocate this to San Francisco and this to a secondary area. But they don't wanna be in more than an hour and 15 minutes from the city. Got it. Are you seeing any change in the investor um, ratios, Dana, or people looking for second homes? No, so we have investors still coming into our marketplace. They have to be smart. Sometimes you see the investor come in and they're buying the C location. And you want to say, don't do that. You know, you still, location still matters. Um, it doesn't matter as much as it did pre-pandemic. Right now, houses are important, but it still matters. So it's components of the house that we find people looking for. As far as second homes, um, it's interesting. People want to control their time. If we look at COVID and what came out of that, they don't want to spend the hours that they spent commuting. They want to say when they go to work, when they start, when they stop. They still want to work just as hard as they did before, but they want to control it. So if a second home, if someone comes into our market for a second home, for us, we're seeing it's more of an older generation or more of an empty nester that's coming in. Otherwise, we see some people coming in to buy their main home here and still keeping something small in San Francisco so that they have a place to go when they are working. Gotcha. Um, so we have some questions from participants. Um, Patrick, I think you talked a little bit about this, but Steve wanted to get some more information on the condo market, which as we discussed, took a huge hit during the pandemic. So um, have the prices rebounded and what's the current situation? So, um, as, so as I mentioned, rentals are the bigger portion of the San Francisco housing market. And then in the for sale market, condos are bigger than the house market. Uh, quite a bit bigger. Uh, San Francisco is actually a, a relatively small market. It's a city of 860,000 and you take 65% of the housing to renters and you, then you divide it up. People are kind of shocked at how small the unit sale number are, which of course is part of the dynamic as to what has kept pressure on prices. Um, everything about the market is always supply and demand. Right now, we've seen very, very, very low supply across the country and in many markets. 
the situation in San Francisco is that one, well, nobody's been building houses in San Francisco basically for 50 years. I mean, you know, maybe 10 or 12 get built a year and they are, you know, big luxurious houses. All the new construction um, is of condos. So the condo market actually, so it sales plunged right after the pandemic. Then it came roaring back uh, at the end of 2020 through 2021. But there's just much, much more supply of condos because of new condo inventory coming on the market from developers. Also, condo owners typically don't live in their homes as long as uh, house owners. They have a tendency, very generally speaking, to be younger. So while uh, condo prices plunged, then they came back, and now they're up about 4% uh, year over year, which compared to you know the sort of changes we've seen in places like Dana's market, or even in the San Francisco house market, uh, or the wine country is a very small increase. And that small increase only occurred very, very recently. And in many of the condo markets around the Bay Area, uh, con the prices have been generally flat. Um, some of them are only now uh, going above the prices they hit in 2018. So um, again, it goes back to that dynamic of wanting more space, wanting a yard, you know, um, not wanting to get in elevators. So you know, as shelter in place has gone away and the vaccines have come on, there's been an ebb and flow. Oh, great. It's it's over. Oh, no, no. It, Delta's here. It's not <laughs> over. Um, so uh, the condo market, there's a lot of sales, but there's not the uh, incredible pressure of demand versus inadequate supply that we have found in, in, in the San Francisco house market and especially in markets like uh, Dana's. Right. Well, Patrick, don't you think also most of our new um, construction has been south of market in these high-rise condo buildings? Good point. So you may have four to six units on in one of these bigger buildings. So the buyers have a choice. And when they have a choice, you don't have the velocity that you do with this, the yeah. one and only single-family house on in the Lake Street corridor yeah. or something to that. That's an excellent point because, so that area where we've seen the, the vast amount of condo development over the last 20 years, it's all around um, the financial district, um, more or less. Um, you know, it, it goes a little bit here or there, but it's the central, most urban part of the city. And it's the only place where they allow high rises to be built. Well, besides the factor of of, of just pure supply, there's a factor that that area has become a ghost town. <laughs> you know, the, the office buildings are only at like 25, 30% occupancy two years after the pandemic hit. Um, shops, restaurants, you know, have closed down. So it doesn't have the energy, the hubbub that people loved about living there. So to some degree, what's going on with the condo market being centered there is dependent upon the resuscitation of the downtown financial district and the downtown high-tech offices um, and, and the uh, commercial businesses that uh, cater to those uh, businesses and to the residents. 
And there's enough, that's where the investors are going, the south of market condos. They look at what they were selling for and they feel they can get a bargain now and they can rent to cover their uh, mortgage cost. Right. It'll be interesting though with this hybrid back to work. You know, people are not back to work five days a week. So how do you support the businesses surrounding um, that area? Right. Lots of things still, still mm -hmm. to be determined. Um, I also wanted to ask you all about taxes. I know not everyone loves to talk about taxes, mm -hmm. but they seem to be a huge concern for California buyers, especially folks who might be coming into California who'd never saw them. Um, starting with you, Dana, are your clients concerned about taxes? They are. So we've got it on all ends. So you have the senior section of our population and they really should be transitioning out of their larger homes, yet they have to pay capital gains and they do not want to pay capital gains. The price of their houses have gone up so much that their capital gains have gone up and they don't want to do it. So they wait for that step-up basis that they receive when somebody dies. And so they're in their houses too long. They should be turning over to a younger generation. So we have that end of things. And then you have homes that really are high-end or luxury market. And when we list something at a luxury price, the main concern is taxes. Um, they don't really want to lock in at that price. If they can find a house tear it down, most of it down, rebuild, then their tax basis is slightly different than if they come in and just buy at that luxury price point. So we battle that when we list luxury houses. And earlier, I'd say in 2020, we saw a lot of people, I had a lot of clients who moved to Texas, moved to Florida, moved to Wyoming a lower tax state. I had one client, this client, you can't walk into a museum or a hospital without seeing his name on the wall. He's no longer a California mm -hmm. resident. And he said, Val, do you realize how much money I'm saving? And I can only imagine how much money he's saving. So yeah. we did have that early on in 2020. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who had options, you know, as they say, money money gives you mobility who left the city who would have normally stayed here and kept a, a big primary residence but just uh really scaled down their footprint well migration is certainly one of, oh i'm sorry dana oh no i was just gonna say that the surge in prices means higher taxes so people aren't just paying higher taxes they're paying higher prices and i think it's the combination of the two Patrick? Well, I was just going to say that migration is one of the most interesting topics as to what's been going on in the Bay Area and California. And and we have everything from, I mean, you know, the Bay Area saw 700,000 new jobs from 2012 to 2018 or 2017. Well, that put enormous pressure um, on, on our market. And something like 35% of our population is foreign born coming into high tech and, and they're all over the Bay Area. And uh, that kind of got shut down. So that by uh, both the pandemic and federal uh, President Trump anti-immigration policies, um, property taxes, I mean, uh, 
income taxes have, have become a larger issue. Say, uh, California has the highest state income taxes at the highest incomes of any state. So there are people going to Nevada, Texas, Florida, uh, Washington state that have no state income taxes at all. And, uh, and we see different dynamics, people going to Texas and going to Washington state. Well, there are large, huge high tech in, uh, centers there as well. So they can stay in high tech and now not, you know, have lower housing costs. I know we're running out of time. Um, and, but again, also, uh, for certain people, the, you know, paying 13, an extra 13% of their income has, you know, you know, affected it. Mm-hmm. But again, as, as we've seen, the market has still been crazy high demand in, right. in, in the Bay Area and, and California. Right. So we are almost out of time. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I just wanted to ask you all what your predictions were for the second quarter, which is, you know, traditionally the most active season for real estate sales, I think, in your area. Um, Val, do you want to start? I, I predict that they're going to keep for the second quarter on the same trajectory uh, because you have to remember these people have been pre-approved. They've locked in their interest rates at a lower rate. Now we are going to, I don't think see any shift real shift into the third quarter, maybe late Q2 because most of the buyers out there in the market have their rates locked in. They're reevaluating their uh, wish list. Uh, they're becoming a little bit more realistic now. So I don't. I think the next quarter through the summer, we should keep the same velocity going. Dina, how about you? Yeah, I think our stats lag the market. So right now, what we're really seeing is that supply and demand, and we're off balance. So there are still many more buyers than we have houses for sale. So until we balance that out a little bit, I think we're going to continue with a really strong second quarter. Patrick, I'm going to switch it up a little bit for you. Do you think we could have a crash at some point? Uh, maybe not, you know, till the end of the year, but do you think that that's, uh, there's any potential for that? Well, real estate and financial markets do grow, go in cycles. This has been an extremely long mm-hmm. up cycle and very dramatic up cycle. I don't see a crash. I don't see the basis for that unless something comes out of nowhere, you know, you find out Wall Street has done something drastically wrong underneath the covers or, <laughs> you know, the Ukraine war expands or whatever. I do think we're going to see a market slow down. Um, I think this overheated market will transition. It will probably take a bit of time to filter into the market based upon exactly what Val and Dana said. But when you have a 64% increase in interest rates, sooner or later, that's going to affect buyer demand. And it's going to affect buyer demand in all market segments, but not not crash, not 2008 level at all. Uh, I'm seeing a, 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 an adjustment, not a, like a overpressurized tire with a very tiny leak, not a, a pin being put into a balloon. Great. Thank you all so much for being here. This is really informative. Dana, Patrick, and Val, I really appreciate your time. And thanks to the audience for tuning in. Please join us back here tomorrow on Earth Day, when I will be joined by Christina Matheson-Segura, who is the Director of Operations at RCG Mortgages. We will discuss all things solar, from upfront costs to what to do if you sell 
your solar power at home. Thanks for listening. And I hope to see you back here tomorrow for Barron's Live. Take care, everyone. Thank you.
The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.